back on the fan morning show sports net 590 the fan justin and alish it's your baby friday justin it is my baby friday off friday so off you, next week you get baby friday on a wednesday it hits similarly hmm. must be nice it is nice no days off over here oh good for you that's right uh josh and i just burying you today uh kipper former nhl forward stanley cup champ kosa kipper and born real kipper and born how's it going this morning kipper good morning sun's come up for leaf fans today uh, that's a good sign did it? Has it is it murky out there we don't have we don't have windows <laughs> don't in this sun. room we don't know where they're gonna bunker here yeah uh rough one last night and uh it, it's really strange there's some teams that should be coming together and playing maybe some of their best hockey at times looking desperate and you look you look down the league and you're like you know it's not happening for some teams right now and I think the Leafs are are, are in that murky uh, place right now so what's the explanation then for last night is it like like late season malaise is it the jumbled lines is it uh, uneven performances like what yeah. what would be like the explanation for last night's result yeah <laughs> I think the one common thing that we've talked about uh, in the last uh, you know week or since Ryan O'Reilly disappeared was uh, you know Sheldon going out there and and changing it up to what degree that he's looking for chemistry and he's looking for some magic solution how many defensive pairs have we seen since the trade deadline how many different lines have we seen the combination since the the trade deadline I, I really believe that he's got to just settle something right down and uh and just stick with it even if it has uh stretches where it doesn't look great uh that's i think the commitment that he needs to make uh going into the the last half a dozen games of of the 12 left yeah, it kind of feels like he's introducing unnecessary stressors because things aren't going well, right? Like he's he's singled out William Nylander. John Tavares clearly isn't playing well. He, you know, Austin Matthews might be turning things around, but maybe Mitch Marner's not been as good as he has been. And that's, you know, maybe not saying all that much because he's been so brilliant. But if n- everything's not really going well at an individual level and then you mix things up to the, the, this like extreme extent, it's like, okay, there's already some stress going on and now things are just overwhelming. And I don't know if it reached overwhelming level last night, but the team looked more frustrated than we've seen. Sheldon Keefe looked frustrated, but guys like Mitch Marner looking frustrated and, and showing their frustration yeah. on the ice. Like it just seems like it's it's gone maybe a little bit too far and that the experimentation needs to end. Yeah. Well, if you want to start with Mitch Marner, he'd be the least of my worries. Uh, he's a guy that constantly uh, makes great plays. And I know the one that... Uh, Lee fans will be pointing at was the, the the pass up the middle of the ice to Morgan Riley. And yeah, it was not a good pass, but I mean, that's what he's paid to do. And that's what he does most often. Well, um, overwhelmingly well over, over what we saw last night. So there, there, there are certain guys that I think he needs to help focus here going down the stretch. And, and for me, the balance act in all of this is Tavares and Nylander. Uh, those are the two guys uh, as far as Matthews and Marner is concerned, I think Matthews should fall into that Marner place where you just expect and and know that you know he should be there for you. Uh, but Tavares is not generating five on five, 
and we can look back and and say you know on a number of reasons why and but he still has to be that guy that creates offense and he's done it most of his career uh but last night's an uh, an example where uh he just he's not getting to the middle of the ice he's not uh he's not getting quality looks right now and that has to be a priority along with Willie Nylander again uh for Sheldon yeah, Justin raised a good point at the top of our show about maybe it's just a second line right now that is the the blender. The source causer, of all the issues. Where yeah. the blender is being pushed on the on button because you can't figure out how to make that second line work. You know, you can you can find a way to have Mitch Marner amplify this person and that person. But is it for you once you figure out how to get that second line together? Maybe that's, and unfortunately, maybe it's waiting till Ryan O'Reilly and, or uh, Matthew Nyes. Like, can they afford to wait that long to see if they can fit? Um, And if they do have a second line that works, just the puzzle pieces all fit into place after that. Uh, To answer your question quick. Yes, they can afford to wait that Mm -hmm. long if they have to. And it's not going to be a good feeling to feel like you got to turn a switch on in in the last three or four games that Ryan O'Reilly comes back. But, I mean, we saw a really, really quick version of of that uh, in Buffalo uh, just prior to Ryan O'Reilly mm. getting hurt. And it, it looked good. It felt good. And Ryan O'Reilly's such a pro uh, that you, you just – you assume that once he comes back in uh, – it should fit a lot better than it looked last night. Um, but saying that, Ryan O'Reilly does not play defense, and um, <laughs> he's going to have to find a way to again settle his defensive pairs last uh, uh, down the stretch. Unlike what we saw last uh, last night, I mean, uh, I, I think there's ten or twelve different pairs of of defense we've seen since the trade deadline. I mean, how many more? How many how many more changes can you make before you settle in on something? Hopefully not too. Like I don't know how many other combinations are out there. It's like it's like you've got the Rubik's cube and you've done it all. Um, someone that is at least mentioning in the media that they like being partnered up with Kelly Yonkroke is Austin Matthews, and he said that a few times. Oh, I like to I want to play with this guy. Like things are going well, and he has been really impressive. I think over this little stretch, uh, Yonkroke, I'm, I'm mentioning here. Do you like that little tandem together? And in what ways is, you know, Callie Yonkro kind of come into his own here over this stretch and maybe won over the hearts of Leafs Nation and a guy that, to be honest, I, I didn't know too much about when they signed him this offseason. Yeah, I don't I don't mind it in short spurts, but I'll never look at Yarncroft and say that that guy's uh, a legitimate top six mm-hmm. forward for me anyways. I, I think he's a perfect... Uh, uh, guy that can fall into uh, five six seven um, but not you know not a not a legit top guy uh, in saying that I, I don't know how long Austin will feel that way uh, moving forward here because you know there are times when he could shoot the puck and he's done it very well and the majority of his 17 goals have come off line changes sometimes uh, where he's matched up with Willie Nylander or, or Marner. But, you know, if you can get 15 or 17 goals out of Yarncroft consistently on a third line with a, a, a David Camp or, you know, a Kerfoot, or th- that to me is a, a much stronger look for him. Um, but last night I think was a prime example that if you went into a game one against Tampa Bay and Yarncroft, good. Uh, you know, doesn't look good uh, on, on a top line last night. Uh, it, it, I thought he didn't have a very good game at all. 
And that's the danger with these guys that are notoriously known as as bottom six guys, notoriously known as 15-goal score. Like, everybody's marveling at his shot. Where's the shot been for, like, 12 years, right? <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're a 15-goal score. You're a 17-goal score. That's what you are, even with that shot. That should look like you should score 40. Well, you haven't. You know why? Because you're not a top line forward. Like, Sheldon has you right now. Short spurts, yes. And if he can squeeze it out for a week, maybe, okay, I can see it. But long term, I don't like Yarncroft with Austin Matthews. Yeah, I guess if you're squinting, you're like, okay, can he do Hyman things, but with that shot, score more goals? Before Hyman, you know, ultimately went to the Edmonton Oilers and became like a 100-point guy, like maybe, and again, maybe it's just for a short spurt, but like I think it's definitely wishful thinking if you're just going to put two middle six guys with Austin Matthews. I mean, he started last game or last night's game um, with Yarncroke and Alex Kerfoot, and I'm trying to figure out like where that falls in the experimentation process. Like he's not actually thinking you're going into a playoff series with Austin Matthews playing with two utility guys, right? Like that, there's no way that's possible. And then I'm seeing Morgan Riley connected to him a lot. And I'm like, okay, are they just trying to surround Matthews so they can feature Matthews? I'm not really sure if like that, where that like falls in the experimentation process for you, but is it about Matthews or about, okay, Matthews just kind of deal with this while we see if we can figure out what we're doing here with Tavares, Nylander, and maybe if those two need Mitch Marner to a certain extent. Well, I I think you're absolutely right in in terms of you're not going to see Austin Matthews with those guys when push comes to shove in in the playoffs uh, any more than you're going to see Willie Nylander with Lafferty and McMahon on uh, on a consistent third line and we saw Willie jump back up uh when when things got hairy last night so um you know you got to put those guys in positions to succeed they are your top priority like there is nothing else if you cannot make your 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 40 million dollars uh shine in the first round and right now he's got a few in and Matthews and and Marner, but like we said, Tavares and Willie are a concern right now, and he's just going to have to find something and settle in on it and get these guys going. What's the key to matching the desperation of a team that feels it authentically? Like, you know, the New York Islanders have to win hockey games at this point. Like, it's it's dire right now. It's life or death. They need to string wins together if they're going to hold on to that wild card position. And they're kind of comfortably there now. Last night's win was a, you know, a big help for them. But you've got it. Like, it's kind of understandable that you wouldn't be able to match that. But it's on teams like the Maple Leafs to match that and make sure that they're going into the playoffs on a strong note, uh, how do you manufacture <laughs> desperation? Like, is that really a big challenge for players to understand that, hey, this doesn't really mean much in terms of results, but we need to be at this level? Like, how much of a challenge is that for players? It, is, it, it appears to be a very big challenge. And <laughs> I played 12 years professional hockey. I've covered it for like 25 years as a broadcaster. I don't know why they don't feel like they they were desperate last night. I don't. Well, did understand. you always feel it? Listen, I. I mean, Kipper could I, do no wrong. I was I was the guy that played every day that showed up and said, "Is this the day they're going to figure out I'm not that good? <laughs> Is this the day that they stop paying me? Is this the day it's over?" 
So, yeah, I did feel that as an individual. I felt that every day. Am I going to lose my spot? Am I going to get traded, sent down? I, I felt that. And there was something that never allowed me to relax and feel like uh, I've, I've, got, I've got my spot solidified. But that's me. I don't know what's going on with uh, some of the, the kids today and how secure that they feel. Uh, if you take a look, Justin, over, over the, uh, the whole league, I don't know why uh, a team like uh, Florida, Pittsburgh, uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, I mean, we've got a few teams here. Uh, Nashville sh- should still feel like they're still in it. Like there, there's some, they, They've played some poor hockey here in the last week, two weeks here. And they should feel and look desperate. Uh, But it's 82 games. Uh, It's hard to maybe generate uh, true emotion for these guys on some nights. They're tired. Uh, Did you hear Samsonov's comments last night? It Mm -hmm. was like, I'm having a baby, man. Uh, So it's almost as if this was such a secondary feel for him. Mm. And... You know, I'm not. I'm not judging him. I'm not telling you it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you where their headspace can be sometimes. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a long year. You just hope that they can rebound back. They're going to see what they're supposed to believe is a very desperate Florida Panther team now. Which uh, the lack of play from the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, the drop off from Washington, has put them totally in a spot where they can salvage their season. There shouldn't be a more desperate team in the league right now than the Florida Panthers. So where are the Leafs going to be able to match that uh, Thursday night? That, that'll that'll be intriguing. Yeah, I mean, some some big, tough opponents that have something to play for, a dangerous kind of schedule here. Florida, Carolina, Nashville, as you mentioned, and then Florida yep. again. So don't you know those are games that if you need to find a way to generate some intensity, those are some good opportunities. Um, luckily, the Tampa Bay Lightning have also not been uh, putting together the best of performances and other regulation loss last night to the Montreal Canadiens. Yep. But when you look at how the Maple Leafs kind of got hemmed in, out uh, outworked from a team like the Islanders who are a very strong forechecking team, like very much tough for the Maple Leafs to get out of their own end um, and leading to their own errors and turnovers. Is that something that scares you with a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning? If the, if the Maple Leafs get outworked and out forechecked, does that start to, you know, uh, brew a little bit in your brain when you think about that first round playoff matchup that's just around the corner? Well, listen, despite uh, their hiccup as well, uh, mm-hmm. there's there's not a reason why that you would ever uh, doubt that Tampa Bay is going to be a, a tough out. Uh, they've got experienced guys. They've got some of the best players in the world in, in Kucherov and, and, and Braden Point when they're on. Stamkos has turned himself into uh, one of those leaders that we're going to talk about for the next 25 years. Uh, Nick Paul and Hagel has stepped up, and we figured out why they spent two first-rounders on him to get him out of Chicago last year. So, yeah, I I don't care what the record says in the last 20, 25 games for for Tampa. They are exactly what you just described, Ailish, in terms of this heavy team that can come at you. So, again, it's it's paramount here for, for Sheldon to get his roster settled down and right now, uh, I think it's it's a tough feeling for the players to come in on a on an off day at practice, or come morning of the skate 
and, and see the lineup posted on the board and wondering who I'm going to play with next. Uh, that that needs to stop now. Uh, once you start getting into these single-digit games next week, uh, every game's critical in, in setting the mindset for that game one against Tampa Bay. So a couple of reunions last night, uh, one fresher than the other with Pierre Engvall facing the Leafs for the first time. But John Tavares, I mean, you heard the boos. And frankly, uh, I, I knew it was a bad Tavares night because I didn't hear enough booing, really. Uh, we, heard, <laughs> we heard it when he touched the puck, but he didn't touch the puck all that much, at least it seemed. Um, for you, what was it like facing your old teammates for the first time? Oh, I had a horrible experience. My first NHL <laughs> game where I spent like uh, five consecutive training camps and preseasons with the Philadelphia Flyers. And then I get picked up on waivers by the Washington Capitals in my first games against all these guys that uh, I just hung out with for like, you know, the last six weeks. Um, and there was lots of chirping and I, it just didn't feel right to go and start running them and sticking them and, you know, mm. but uh, it's always emotional for, for anyone. And especially for John, John, you know, he, he is a very, you know, thoughtful person. And I, I do believe he is very uh, emotional in, in, in many ways. Um, and I, I don't think it's a good feeling for him from, from the moment uh, he first stepped into the island and played against him to last night. I think it'll always be tough for John to go into uh, New York uh, and play against a team that uh, that gave him his start and was always considered the franchise player and face of that organization. But that's what being a pro is all about. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him and the Leafs last night. But you know, he'll he'll move on and he'll get another opportunity. And uh, uh, you just you just check it. Uh, you check it off as uh, one game, and and that's it. You start focusing on Florida. Did you ever get any boos or tough uh, reception? When you showed up to an old barn? Ailish, I wasn't that good enough for people to really yeah, remember. But you probably poked the bear a bit. They <laughs> like knew who you were. Get in the penalty box yeah. and you're just getting beaked from yeah, yeah. Uh, like a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was talk it. Uh, my first game, uh, my first NHL game that probably tripped me the most. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't exactly going to go and fight him uh, my first NHL game. But... Uh, all, all good fun at the end of the day. Mm. Did you put any money on the board for any of these? Because, you know, last night it was Pierre Engvall as well versus old team, yeah. Johnny T against his old team. Like, I don't know if Pierre Engvall's putting up money on the board, but yeah. he's, he had that's five points in seven games with the Islanders so far. I don't know if we missed him when he watched him last yeah. night, but that, that's not, a real thing, right, putting money up it, on the board? It, it is, but, you know, not not with my career earnings. I think I put up, uh, like, a, a, a souflaki dinner nice. in, in, in Greek town. Uh, yeah, that, that's more bucks. my style. <laughs> well, it would have been Cal Clutterbuck eating the souvlaki last he, night he based was on really, uh, his performance. Yeah, he, he was really good last night, and he uh, he had some bad injuries this year, and he's, he, he, he was off for a long time, but that guy was fantastic last night and you hope that uh you know a, a, an achari or a lafferty can have that same effect for the leafs in the playoffs and you know in many ways still uh, it, it's still a, a better look for the leafs i think in the playoffs the roster for, you know let's just check the results or the analytics to the side for a second you know watching noel achari you know hit nielsen last night and you know it's arguable 
you know, or debatable whether it was a boarding call or not. But, you know, my first thought when I saw Achari hit him is like, isn't that nice for Leaf fans for change, not having it reversed and not having, you know, your opponent knock a, a Leaf guy into the boards like that. And, you know, that's sometimes it, it gets a little ugly sometimes. Sometimes you got to do things that, you know, don't necessarily look great, uh, you know, in the in the scheme of things of fair play. But that's that's the look that you need. And uh, I, I I don't mind Achari and Lafferty at all. Um, you know, in many ways, even last night, uh, a goal for Lafferty in front of the net, mucking it up, Achari, uh, you know, taking the man. Those are the things that uh, I think we could take out of last night to say that, you know, they still should be looking like they're playoff ready more than they have in the past. Yeah, and it was definitely a great fourth line shift that set the table for the Mitch Marner goal that temporarily got them back in it, uh, but to no avail, of course, with uh, the Islanders scoring very soon after that. It is a little tragic, though, that the one thing that seems to be set in stone, which is the fourth line, uh, you know, had some moments last night. Maybe it wasn't Achari per se, but Campton, Zach Aston, Reese having a couple issues on a couple goals. Uh, Ailish is, seems very unhappy with the play of Zach Aston, Reese of late. Okay. And, and I just want to juxtapose that a little mm. bit to like, you know, Cal Clutterbuck, who of yeah. course steps up in a big moment. Like, I guess the question is, do they have enough from that fourth line to make sure that it is useful? Or yeah. do you see them running into problems with Zach Aston Reese, maybe not giving you much uh, other than, you know, trying to play bash brother a little bit with Noel Achari? Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing, the one thing that stands out for me the most is, you know, a guy like Wayne Simmons, who's still in the picture, but isn't in the picture. Um, and I find it kind of strange that uh, he's only playing maybe once every three weeks. Uh, but when he does come in, if you ask me, I'd rather have Wayne Simmons in the lineup than Zach Aston Reese. Hmm. So uh, I, I think there's more of an element of his game in terms of having an effect on his teammates or 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 finishing a check or or talking to an opponent, um, you know, staring him down, knowing that I, I will hold you accountable if I have to. I, I think that stuff matters still. And for me, I'd have more. I'd have Wayne Simmons in there more than I would uh, Zach Aston Reese, and uh, you know that's just my preference. But Zach has to bring it every night on a fourth line, and I think it was the last shift of the game where he's. I, I found him kind of blowing the zone, and I don't know if he was trying to pull a Willie Nylander and maybe uh, you know go in for a breakaway somewhere. I I lost him in my TV set. He was gone, and I'm like. Uh, it's the last minute of the game, you know. You got you guys are down by uh, almost a touchdown. Like, where are you going? Just stay in your own zone. Make sure you don't get scored on, and and get the heck out of there. But uh, we'll see how this all plays out as early as Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Wayne Simmons certainly brings a level of toughness that the Maple Leafs don't have anywhere else. Um, could be a more of a playoff type feel down the stretch when they got to play gritty teams. They got to play teams that have something to play for. Um, we see that a few times down the stretch. Uh, Kipper, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, hold on. Hold oh, on. Yeah. How's the puppy Bunkus? Oh, he's... <laughs> He's really good. He's such a sweetie. He's very cute, but he's going through his little nibbling phase right now, of course. He's teething. He's only nine weeks old. So uh, yesterday he discovered that you can take toilet paper off the roll and run around the house with it. So we're working through it. 
Nice. Yeah, he's That's cute, so though. nice of you to name him after JD. Oh, yeah. Don't add to his <laughs> ego. Uh. <laughs> I hope that the dog doesn't uh, have the mouth that JD Bunks does. You know, he's a bit more quiet, <laughs> a bit more reserved. I would like that a lot. So, <laughs> appreciate well, that's, it. I, that's why I thought you named them after him because oh, they either either they look alike or they bark alike. It's probably more like that then. But uh, we're working on it. You know, he's a cutie. You guys have a great day. You as well. Thanks, Kipper. Uh, that's Kipper, real Kipper, and born. He's gonna be off for the next few days, gunning, filling in with Justin Bourne. And then he'll fill in for me a little bit next week with you. That's right. We a lot of gunner. Shuffling seats around here. Over the next uh, week or so. Uh, do you have something to chew on? Brought I, to you by Great Canadian Meats. I have a short one. We could double chew. We don't have much time. So is yours better than mine? I don't know if it is. What's yours? Mine's about Hunjin Ryu. Mine's about Shohei Otani. Can I over? Yeah, you Can we go. talk about Hunjin Ryu at, You're at the day winner. 30? Yes. Okay, because it's a quick one. Mm-hmm. This from Sarah Langs of MLB.com. Nobody else hit a ball harder or farther, or threw a pitch harder than Shohei Otani did at the entire World Baseball Classic. So yum, he yum, threw yum. the hardest pitch, mm-hmm. hit the ball the hardest, and hit the ball the longest. If you look at all the metrics, of course, across what? How many weeks of it? Three weeks of the World Baseball Classic in two different continents and multiple stadiums. Is that not insane? It's somehow not surprising, you know? It's got to be a little surprising. Well, well, though. There's no one that can come out and throw harder than he did. And he did it like he's normally a starter. He comes out of the bullpen. First time ever gets a save and he's throwing harder than anyone else. Maybe yeah. he threw his hardest when he was starting games. I, I'm not really sure. He did throw a 102 yep. in the ninth inning yesterday, though. It's wild. He's just an he's absolute specimen. It's a freak. That was something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. We're going to talk about Shohei. And the once-in-a-lifetime moment that we watched last night, the World Baseball Championship, the the final game. John Morosi was there on the field talking to both the United States and the champions, Japan, Shohei Otani, the guy that just breaks every record that didn't know existed previous to Shohei Otani breaking said record. John Morosi, MLB Network Insider, joins us on the other side of the break. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Reminder to get your wake and rake submissions in. A tough night yesterday. Tough (laughs) afternoon. 0-3 for the show. We're flushing it. It's like the Leaf game. Burn the tape. Burn the tape. Move on. Move forward. We got to get one before I uh, set sail, though. Yeah, no WBC to bet on the overs anymore. Good thing we didn't do that yesterday. Probably a good thing. But we got Pacers at the Raptors. It's Canadian basketball night at Scotiabank Arena. So maybe you're betting big on any Canadian what is, what is lineup. The, yeah, what does the Ailish style parlay look like for that? Canada. Is it a homecoming? Heavy. Is it Canada just like filling the points, rebounds, assists, bucket? I don't I don't know what, the, what the move is. Canadian parlay. I'll put it together. Okay. You'll figure it out. I think we got our buddy. Do we have John Morosi on the line? We sure do. We got him. John Morosi, MLB Network Insider, and the man who was right Whew. about the WBC all along. You were, you were you were dead on. You were dead on, John. It was an incredible tournament. I'm sure you have stories upon stories. You might have a book in the works because <laughs> you saw all that we saw up close and personal. Did it overshoot even your lofty expectations coming in? 
It did. It did. And, and good morning. It was an amazing uh, two and a half weeks of the journey. And let me tell you this, just the, the, the fact that we were talking before the tournament started and during the tournament, you know, wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we got to see Otani on the mound and trout at the plate? Wouldn't that be something? Nah, it, it can't. It can't possibly happen that way. And then it did. And then it did. It's just baseball is is something that cannot. I guess I'll I'll just say this: it's impossible to script like any other sport, or really even this one. And yet, baseball more than any other game occasionally gives us these glimpses and moments as if as if it, it confirms to us that it was divinely created. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and last night was one of those nights. I mean, there's the saying, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. We watched that final head-to-head showdown at the bottom of the, or top of the ninth opportunity for history to be made. And we tried to figure out like a superlative for that final at-bat. And I came up with, once in a lifetime. And and I think that there's just no other right. way to really put it together because for everything to align in that moment, and you joking, like you had a, a great tweet, right? Oh, wouldn't it be great if it was the ninth inning and Shohei and, and, and it happened. And it's just, it is pretty outstanding that we got to witness that moment. And I think it's got to rank up in the things that you've covered personally. By the way, you just did an incredible job too. We, we had such a pleasure watching you on the sidelines reporting so just a hat tip to how great you did this whole time it was really awesome to see you in your element there speaking every language under the sun i don't know when you're (laughs) going to learn japanese but that's got to be next um but in terms (laughs) of the the next one i thought so you got three years all right i I wouldn't put it past you but in terms of things that you've covered like that's got to be up in the top i don't know three five yeah uh I, i really i struggle right now uh, I struggle right now to to come up with one that I would put above it, oh. and and the and the reason is that that uh, it's twofold. Number one, it was the it's the drama of of the actual event, a one run game between two of the most historic baseball nations in the world. Some would argue the two best, and and, and then it came down to two teammates who are at the peak of their powers, and that's where I think it's it's important to to appreciate this. That you know, last night after the game, and, and even before it, we were hearing a, a lot of people say, "Well, I definitely want to play again in three years, and, and I hope they all do." But th- there's, we know this, and we've we've been conditioned to expect this with the Olympics uh, and, and appreciate this, to where you can't always count on that happening. You can't always count on on players being at the peak of their powers the way they are right now. And Otani is one of the great athletes in the world. And, and Trout obviously is as well. And, and to see them colliding in this way with two outs in the ninth inning, <laughs> it's just there there are not moments in life that arrive like this. And, and have it be a packed crowd, 36,000, loudest, uh, loudest and best venue that I've covered games in. It's just uh, it's, it's remarkable. And, and I, I, I wanted to – I was there – you know, my, my broadcast location was right next to Team Japan's dugout, and so I, I was I was there listening and watching, and, and I just basically said, "Okay, John, put down your microphone during this." First of all, they're not going to come to you now; they don't need to. Just let the moment breathe, anyway, and and just watch, just watch, because there was no need to to think too much or try to game plan too much about what's going to be. What are you going to ask after the game's over? What's it going to mean? And, and 
what's he going to throw? No, just watch. And, and that was that was what I told myself, and I was glad that I just sort of drank in that moment, didn't worry about getting video of it. Just 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 sit there and watch, and it was uh, it was magic. Yeah, when we were trying to like talk about what it means, the superlative Ayler saying once in a lifetime, and it certainly was once in a lifetime. Like we may never see those two ever again go at it like the way they did. Uh, we were trying to think of like, okay, the at bat. Cause when you think about legendary baseball moments, you think of the result from an at bat generally, right? You think about the home run or the great catch, all that results from an at bat. You don't necessarily remember the at bat. And I think I'm going to remember the at bat there, the pitches thrown, the three swinging strikes, which never happens with Mike Trout. Like, can you, can you think of an at bat specifically an at bat that can even compare to the drama, the intrigue, the storyline, the stakes, uh, of that moment, six pitches between two legends of the game. No, I I really can't, and, and I think the reason why it was so it was so profound was ex- was exactly that. It was the stakes and the teams and the uniforms. There was even that that brief acknowledgement from Mike as he stepped into the batter's box, uh, kind of like a little bit of a nod. Yeah, that was like, cool. Here we, <laughs> like here we go, buddy. <laughs> and uh, it was just great. And I'll tell you this. I also say that one of the things that stood out to me the most about why it was so special is after the game, I, I spoke on the field with with multiple members of Team USA, who, of course, they were they were uh, you know upset to have lost. That's that, that's obvious. But I've never covered an event where there was such gratitude for just being there, and, and that and, and on the losing side. Okay, like, like I, I was there, and there were players that came back out to the field on on the Team USA side, and they were still so grateful to just be there, and that to me, the the, the reaction and aftermath was even more profound and just affirmed the magic of what we saw because for for so long this tournament story has been well, how cool would it be if it becomes like what the World Cup is in soccer. I mean, I don't know how much more you can ask for what we just got. And in the interest as well, I had a, a, a colleague who I met for the first time who came over from Spain, and uh, we were just talking, and, and he said to me at one point, he said, esto es como un mundial, which means this is this is like the World Cup. It's for, for someone to travel from Barcelona and then and then say that to you about, you know, the sport that you cover – in our in our country, and and for someone from Spain to say it's like the World Cup is very very high praise. Uh, that was pretty cool, and I'll probably always remember that that moment as it was. We have we in this tournament and international baseball that we've arrived to to being on a level of what what the World Cup represents, what Olympic hockey represents in a best on best format. Like that's that's that was probably one of the coolest moments. Just that one conversation. Because it affirmed what we always believed could be possible and what we dreamed could be possible. And last night was what we dreamed could be possible, and it happened. Yeah, World Cup, but almost even more authentic, if that makes sense. Like the World Cup final borders on the Super Bowl a little bit where it's very, you know, there's a lot of, you know, marketing people and it's like an event for people that get to uh you know be 
the who's who, right? Like that's kind of, well, there are some fans there for sure, but that felt so authentic in terms of fandom with yes. different fans from all over uh, the globe coming over and supporting their team. Like it felt like an atmosphere that you really can't replicate and it almost like ahead right. of its time, right? It hadn't got to the point where it's too commercial, where it could be spoiled just a little bit. Like it was truly for the fans of the countries competing, which was very, very cool. And I want to ask you about Japan too, because we were sort of j- blindly assigning what it means to that country and it was like okay is it golden goal is it city crosby for canada in 2010 is it more to that in your sense what does it mean to japan to have won this tournament yeah it's, it's a great that's a great question and, and it probably 2010 vancouver might be about that same level that that when you think back to what that meant to canada it's that's probably how they feel in 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 tokyo right now um and even remarkably you know i've Certainly studied the history of the uh, of the Summit Series and learned about that. And it's and it's on a lot of levels. There's there's a lot there's there's certainly some common threads to where you know work and and school was obviously happening during the day as as the final game of the, of the Summit Series was in Canada, and and people just were not they weren't working they weren't they weren't uh, I mean I know yesterday so two days ago for the semifinal was was actually a holiday so everybody was home from school anyway uh, but I think yesterday was was even more <laughs> profound in that regard about people I was texting with one of my college roommates who was uh, who was saying like yeah at work like we're not really getting a whole lot of work done he was he's working in Japan now it was just it, it was a, a moment in time and I'll say this I feel like we and to your point I think it's very, very well put. I mean, there, there are so many things that that happen in life that 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 maybe are almost in some ways too big, right? I mean, the Super Bowl is so big, and 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 this this still retained its authenticity. And and there, I'll say this too about about international baseball, especially um, Latin American countries and, and and Japan, and the way they the 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 way the fans are during the games is is a show unto itself it's it's kind of it is that respect is like going to a, like a world cup major soccer game and and, and i'll say that you know, certainly the u.s cuba game got tense there there were protesters on the field it was that was a sort of a heated moment but i think w- with that notable exception there, there was just such collegiality and support uh between the nations to where even the u.s mexico game uh all the intensity of that regional rivalry and there was such support and and love in the stands afterward and and even during it where you would cheer really hard for your team and then you'd go back and 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 there would still be that that support and 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 respect and obviously japan's fans take it to a different level i mean in terms of the 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 trumpets and the so there's a, a cheering section and a song for every player that there you heard you saw probably out in left field the trumpets going and, and the way they were the way they were reacting it's just it's remarkable and and the amount of of uh, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this funny story too you were on the field after the game Lars Dubar's mother who of course is from is from outside Tokyo uh, she was on the field and we were speaking with her Hale Reynolds and I my my friend and colleague we're speaking with the Newbar family about an hour after the game, and and uh, a Japanese television crew uh, calls over to her and waves her over, and she she walks over to do th- this interview uh, after the game's over, and there was a huge ovation for her <laughs> from like 30 people around on the field still, including the TV crew and the, their technical crew, just like appreciating her. There's just uh, appreciation was kind of the word of the day. Like there was just 
um, really, really cool moments. Uh, and again, even on the U.S. side, like I've never seen a game where the losing team has been out on the field, kind of milling about with family after it was all over, and that happened. Um, so it was just, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a deeply, 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 deeply grateful and and a profound moment to have witnessed. And um, you're right, it, it does. It sort of makes us can't wait for the next one in three years, but also don't, don't rush to three years from now. Just kind of live in this moment and appreciate what we just saw. Well, I want to ask you about three years from now though, <laughs> because sure, I think let's do it. there's a lot of, I hope positive momentum from this. It was spectacular. And everything you talked about those moments, like, I don't know if they can be replicated, but is there a way to make the event even better moving forward? Is there a way that more players buy in now because of how incredible this world baseball championship was and the classic, um, that we just saw it, does this does this do anything different for maybe Canadians but you know players all across that are watching that might want to be a part of this in 2026 right no it's a, it's a great question I, I think the twofold number one um, could we see a little bit more pitching on the US side and, and some of the you know like a Nick Pavetta for Canada others that that were missing and, and were sort of uh, whether for health or other reasons where their absence was noted and, and felt, sure, that's always that's always a part of the tournament, and I think will be. Um, I, at the same token, I don't know, you know, beyond beyond just watching this tournament and and talking. Now that you have these ambassadors of you know, this was Shohei's first classic, this was Trout's first classic. Um, the, the ability for these players to go back and and share with their with their teammates what it was like. Um, and I think even too, you've got Freddie Freeman, uh, who who played for Canada again for his mother Rosemary and for for his father Fred Senior. What that meant, you've got now these great ambassadors. And so, even though Mets fans might say, "Yeah, it was great," but we we wish we had our closer, and I I understand that. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, um, th- this is something that the players love to do. The fans love to do, and when you have Mike Trout saying it's my it's my favorite baseball experience ever, and you have Otani saying like I think paraphrasing here, but like greatest moment of my life. Okay, well when you've got those two guys saying that, um, I don't know if there's anything much more that any of us need to really say. You either you either get it and understand why it's so special, or you're not paying attention because <laughs> I'm not really sure if it's possible to pay attention. And not realize how special it is and understand that. So, uh, so that, that's the, the first part. The second part is, is to, to then watch the growth in some of the more, um, some of the newer nations to the, to the international baseball scene. You know, Italy reaches the quarterfinal. Great Britain finds a way to qualify for the next time around. The Czech Republic, you know, you've got Otani wearing a Czech hat when he shows up to, to, to the U.S. I mean, there, there are some pretty profound moments that, that I think, in a lot of ways, are you can you can arrive and make an impression more quickly in this sport than you can, I think, in 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 soccer or or hockey. And part of it is obviously the eligibility rules are different. You just have to prove that you're eligible to have the passport as opposed to actually having the passport. That's significant, but it's still meaningful. And and trust me, it was meaningful. I mean, as an Italian American, it was meaningful to see Italy reach the quarterfinal. It was meaningful to see um, what what a lot of these nations have done. You know, Mexico reaching the semifinal was profoundly Im- impactful to that country, which is a very proud baseball country that are going to be hosting a major league series in a month. So the timing, the, the moment in time where all these things coalesced, Ailish, is, 
is really pretty profound, and I, I hope that we keep re- revisiting what this classic meant and means on a continual basis to, to growing the game around the world. Hopefully the FOMO or the fear of missing out uh, is still really strong and survives three years, right? Like, I'm sure there are a ton I'll remind of... Him. I'll remind them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of major, ton of major leaguers right now that are thinking, "Wow, I, I turned this down. What, what was I thinking? What I, I, I missed the right. chance to be on Mike Trout's team to, <laughs> to uh, see Shohei Otani up close and personal in a championship game, and I'm out here playing 162 largely meaningless games if I'm not on a good team. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of players sort of regretting uh, their stance on things, and hopefully uh, they'll be reminded of that by not just you, John, uh, over the course of three right. years. Uh, you know, in terms of like the actual game and the matchup, I didn't really know what to expect, right? From Japan, we're, you know, waiting for them to come over. We didn't see any of the Jap- the, the Japanese games uh, beforehand. They're kind of on when we're on, so we weren't really able to watch them. Right. And I didn't know what, what, what to expect, right? Are they going to be jet lag? What's the, what's the matchup going to be like? How could anyone hang with the United States in that lineup? And they go out there and they ultimately outslug the Americans. Were you a little surprised? Because like, it's kind of like the MMA analogy, right? Like you got the kickboxer versus the wrestler. They're not that different, Japan and the United States, but they're different. Did you expect something different? Did you expect the Japanese to outslug the Americans? I think they both hit two home runs, so maybe not outslug, but right. went toe-to-toe with them in that regard. Like, did anything surprise you about the actual game last night? Uh, truly, uh, no. Uh, and, and the reason I'll say that is this, is, is, that, is that when you have to face a series of pitchers that you're not familiar with, that's, that's, a, that's often a problem for a, you know, for, a, for a ball club. And that's true if it's game 80 and the, and the Blue Jays are facing six relievers from, from Tampa Bay they've never seen before. And it's true yesterday that when you, when you face new pitchers who are both really talented, which Shota Imanaga is the starter, and then certainly the, the the pitchers that came in after him, but but also very aware of tournament baseball and how to and how to how to keep you off balance for your lane, and then and then pass the baton to the next to the next pitcher. You know, I've seen you know, J- Japan wins; they win international tournaments. Right now, they're the first country ever to hold the WBC championship, the Premier 12 championship, which is the, the successor to the Baseball World Cup, which sort of happens in the off years, and then also the Olympic championship at the same time. They, they, they are the, you know, you know those boxers who like have all the belts all at once? That's what Japan has, okay? So they're, 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 really, they're, they're great to begin with, and they're really great when it comes to tournaments. So I, I think that if you look back at the box score last night, um, the U.S. walked a lot. Their pitchers uh, they have having a hard time throwing strikes at different times. But Japan played a really clean game. Japan played an excellent defensive game. And by the way, like Genda, the shortstop, um, Sosuke Genda, who's really one of the most beloved players on that team, and uh, Hideki Kuriyama, the manager, said to us yesterday before the game, he felt like he that Genda is the best defensive shortstop in Japanese history. And and which is which is not lightly said. I mean, that's a big deal. And and he's playing with a broken finger on his throwing hand. And so, like you saw, there was a very clutch bunt that he put down in the game against Mexico. And and well, I remember thinking to myself, like, here's here's a guy that we hockey people can appreciate. You know, like you're 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 playing with a broken finger 
And obviously, you know, throwing a baseball requires a lot of things to go right with your hand, and and he's just doing it, and he's and he's doing it at this at this elite level. And I, this guy, this guy could be a great hockey player too. So like, so I, I it's just for me, you just understand the investment and the awareness of of the Japanese baseball culture in in both the way that the way they play, the way they prepare, the way they honor the game. Um, you know, I, I, I've shared the story before. I, I had a chance they, when they before they played Korea at the Tokyo Dome in the championships in the Premier 12 three years or four years ago. Now I was there, and to watch them take infield is like watching the ballet. It's it's like it's like high art, and and so I just I have such appreciation for the way they play the game, and and I, I got to tell you this funny story too about so before the game we had our production meeting as one of the rights holders, we were doing the world feed. And so we were, we were part of the meeting before. So it was Fox and us and XM radio. It was like a small group of people that were doing the, the, the broadcast that had a meeting with both managers. That was true during the course of the tournament. And so Kuriyama-san was this wonderful person and this great, this great spirit about him. Um, we asked him, I actually, I asked him before the semifinal game, I said, I said, Kuriyama-san, is it possible that we could see, uh, we, that we could see Otani pitch this week? And his, his eyes kind of lit up as he's getting the translation from the interpreter, and he like nods his head and he kind of he he gives the answer and the answer comes back to me through the interpreter and says, <laughs> the answer is, I have had this conversation with Shohei, and for now it will remain between us. <laughs> and I just I just said like I was like oh he's pitching he's gonna pitch there's no doubt about this now, and uh, and so just like the way he said it and. And and the coolest part about it too is that Kuriyama was the manager when when Shohei began his professional journey. He was the one that encouraged him to be a two way player. So when you know that in the back of your mind that he he sort of helped give him this germ of the idea to do this and to be a two way guy at this level, and now he's the manager, and now he's got a chance to pitch him in the ninth inning. There was no way in the course of human history that Otani was not going to pitch in that game last night. Like he he was going to pitch. And so to watch it all happen was just was just an absolute treat. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, it was definitely uh, an awesome experience in watching the World Baseball Classic. I love your ballet analogy, analogy too, watching uh, the, the Japanese players uh, take infield. Yeah. I mean, that's at the t- very top of my sports bucket list mm-hmm. is to go watch a game in Japan, uh, and I hope I get to witness that ballet one day. But for now, the World Baseball Classic will do. Uh, we appreciate your time this morning, John. I know you got up early for us, uh, and you've been on the grind uh, as of late. So uh, we definitely do appreciate it, and you did a great job once once again, over there at the World Thank Baseball you. Classic. Justin Ellis, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks for bearing with my my uh, day after the last game voice oh. here, uh, getting through it. But I, I appreciate it. Uh, it just, uh, I, I appreciate your interest in the tournament as well and, and all, all the great questions. It's really a special day. So th- thanks for, for everything. I really appreciate it. Three years. We can't wait. Uh, that's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider, and the first to knowing just how good the World Baseball Classic was. Uh, we got to go to break. We got Joseph Cachero on the other side. We'll talk a little Canadian basketball night. That's next.